He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. We miss you, Donald Trump. Since you've been away, six dollar gas, canceling oil leases, no infant formula, electric bills soaring, inflation hits eight percent, incomes dropping each of the last twelve months, Ukraine invaded, China threatens Taiwan, North Korea launches missiles. Two million illegal immigrants, 30 trillion national debt, rising murder rate, defunded cops. Donald Trump, I'm sure missing you. So am I. So am I. And that is Doug DePiro, who is my sidekick and buddy and architect and... uh, Architect. And (laughs) muralist. (laughs) We're missing you, to Mr. Trump, though. The Mr. theme of today's show is something that will really surprise Americans uh, and, and perhaps even New Yorkers. The United States in international relations is stronger now than it has ever been since the fall of communism in 1989 and 1991. Stronger now. That's amazing that you're going with this. This is great. And it is so important that we realize it. We always believe that we're getting weaker because that's America. We're always debating. But in fact, we are getting stronger every day. Such a great insight, Dick. This is such a great insight. None of this is Biden's uh, credit. Most, almost all of it is Donald Trump's administration. But I believe that the collapse of Russia in Ukraine is the final and perhaps the greatest achievement and the most lasting achievement of Donald Trump's presidency. Because what he did with the military and the modernization he did was only apparent now when we're contrasting it with the Russian military. But, man, it is significant, and, man, it is important. Because while these Ukrainian troops fighting, not American troops, they're all trained by America, or by NATO, which is trained by America. And NATO, which was a flabby, do-nothing organization, kind of waiting for Russia to attack, and it never did for 60 years. Right. Uh, and people weren't paying their dues. They weren't meeting the quotas for defense spending. And everybody said, well, there's a guy, Tucker Carlson, who is on uh, Fox News. He kept saying, what do we need NATO for? Why do we need NATO anymore? But Russia brought that into clear perspective. And now it's very clear we need it. And when it's when we need it, it's there. So let's look at the military situation in Ukraine. First of all, the Russians have given up on conquering Kiev, and they're now focused on the southern and eastern part of the country, nearer Russia, where they're fighting in the region called Dumbass, 
D O M B A S S. I spell it differently. That's not spelled D U M B A S S. But the, uh, I mean, that's wrong. <laughs> you got but, me. You caught me early on. You knew where the, I was going. Uh, but in the Dumbass region, it is an urban terrain. It's covered with dense array of small towns, villages, agricultural mining facilities, and has two cities of 100,000 each. And the point is that the in the invasion so far in Ukraine, the Russians have been have lost constantly when they fight in urban or quasi-urban areas. Ukraine's made good use of synchronized attacks by Javelin and, I don't know if you've heard of these, NLAW missiles, N-L-A-W. They're a UK and Swedish missile. When you fire those with mortars and artillery and you coordinate it with drones flying overhead, which is what the Ukrainians have been able to do, the effects are devastating. Ukraine has infantry swarming tactics, whereas the ponderous Russian armored column goes down the road. Uh, their infantrymen attack with hit-and-run attacks, uh, like uh, the U.S. did in the South in the Revolutionary War with the Swamp Fox. You saw that in the movie Patriot. Hit-and-run attacks. And the attack on Mariupol, which is about to fall, in the indication of how weak the Russians are, it took 12,000 troops six weeks to beat 3,000 Ukrainians, and they still haven't defeated them. That's so great. That's so great. What this war is showing, the military journals say, is a high standard of leadership and training in combined arms tactics, which involves coordinating infantry, tanks, artillery, and engineers. And the Russians just aren't good at this. They've never trained in it. And even if they've trained, they're not, their leadership is not capable of that. And as a result, you have, it's like an animal with four legs, each leg going in another direction. Hmm. The Russians have become risk averse when they invade a country and, and you, the Donbass region. They don't occupy it. They don't send their troops into the cities. They stay back and they shell it and bomb it until it's leveled, hoping that they'll surrender, hoping that they'll be intimidated. Meantime, each of these little towns in Donbass is fortified by Ukrainian infantry to allow them to use anti-tank missiles to stop Russian armor, the Javelin and the Law missile we just talked about. That forces Russian troops to attack to clear the defenders, obstructing their advance, and they take huge casualties when they do that. The, the, Rus- the Russians, Russians take the huge casualty. Okay. The Ukrainians will be able to sight anti-tank missiles in neighboring towns and villages to pick off Russian tanks as they go nearby into into the position to invade. Hmm. This dispersed network of smaller fortresses from which it will be just as difficult to evict the defenders. The extensive networks of trenches and fortifications Ukrainian hmm. troops have constructed across Donbass will also be important. Over recent weeks, Russian tactics have changed. They're now very limited, short-range attacks by their missiles and infantry, and we don't know why. And theorists are saying, and I think they're getting credibility, that they're afraid of running out of ammo and fuel, uh, and they also want to minimize their casualties. Russia, this great military might, is running out of ammo (laughs) and and fuel, the big uh, fuel center of the world. Yeah, but there's shelling and bombing going on that is, and sabotage that is stopping that stuff from reaching the front. And there's vandalism and theft and 
guys getting drunk in the supply line and not delivering anything. I hope Putin's got baby formula. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to need it. <laughs> 90 U.S. and U.K. manufactured M777, that's M777 howitzers, mm. are firing NATO, NATO standard 155 millimeter shell, shells that are supplied by the U.S. and already with Ukrainian gunners who were trained in the equipment in Germany. They have a range of up to 19 miles. And when you combine that with target data supplied from Ukrainian drones and recently supplied radars designed to locate guns and rocket launchers, these are tremendously improving Ukraine's ability to attack and neutralize Russian armor and mobile launchers. But rapidly defeating a layered combined arms defense like Russia's trying to do with a high density of well-equipped troops like the Ukrainians have with anti-tank weapons, tanks and artillery would probably challenge the most competent armies in the world. But with the personnel and equipment casualties Russia has suffered and the demonstrably lowest standards of Russian tactics, training and leadership that led to their defeat so far in Ukraine, the Russians have little alternative but to continue to mount a series of limited attacks seeking to gradually push the Ukrainians back while using as much firepower as they can to inflict casualties, hoping to force them to withdraw and surrender in panic. But it ain't happening. The Russians haven't even maintained, got, gotten control of Ukrainian airspace. As long as Ukraine can maintain a layered network of short and long-range air defense missiles, and complement it with fighter planes. It can probably control most of the airspace in its country. So the Russian invasion is doomed. It's running out of steam. It's running literally out of gas. Love it. And uh, they are headed for a massive, massive defeat. Uh, and it is so good to see, and it's so important. We have to understand that the that this is an accomplishment of Donald Trump, this wouldn't have the invasion wouldn't have happened if by if Trump was still in right, office. It didn't. But if it had happened, uh, Trump would have defeated it as quickly as the Ukrainians are now defeating it because all of the groundwork was done by him. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on seventy-seven WABC. So the clowns and jokers that are surrounding me and you, the left-wing clowns and some of the right-wing jokers, have all spent decades telling us that Russia was invincible, that their might was incredible, that we couldn't possibly go one-on-one with Russia, and that, you know, our last refuge would be Russia would attack Western Europe, they'd get all the way to the English Channel, and then we'd have to push the button to use nukes to save the world from Russian domination. Mm. Well, baloney, that is not happening. <laughs> What's happening is that America is winning, and Ukraine is winning, and NATO is winning this confrontation. Hit me with your best shot. And they haven't, <clears throat> hasn't done much at all. Uh, Russia has been losing. But Russia's not the only pr- 
space that's been losing. China is losing. And that is just not covered in American media. Hmm. And I thought it was really important to give that to you guys. That's that why we listen folks. to you, Dick. Uh, thanks. <laughs> China has been invested in something. First of all, the Chinese economy is in terrible shape. Uh, terrible shape. They're on the verge of a recession. Industrial production in China is down 11% for the year. And consumer purchases are down more. Are down more. Uh, China has is, China's economy is falling apart. Uh, it has insolvent banks. It has debts that it can't pay, and uh, p- particularly because they've had to close down the city of Shanghai, population of twenty to twenty-five million. It is completely closed down. Nobody can go in. Nobody can go out. Nobody can really move in the city. They get arrested if they try, uh, because COVID is back there. And because China never really took adequate measures to deal with COVID, but when you combine the shutoff of Shanghai, their biggest city, with the economy that's falling apart, because what happened was that under Deng Xiaoping, the two leaders ago, China abandoned its capitalist, poli- its socialist policies. It basically said, "Now is over. We're going to become a capitalist country." And uh, Deng put in a stock market, private ownership, did profit-making, did all kinds of stuff, and the Chinese economy boomed. And the Chinese economy we're used to now of dominating the world through exports and manufacturing is a product of the capitalist revolution that Deng Xiaoping brought. But now she is in charge. He is a she. She is a he. She is a he. He Wait, hold on. She is a he. Shim. Yeah. And this isn't trans we're talking about. This no. is international diplomacy. I'm still confused, but anyway, whatever. Go well, on. They are too, you know. Please go. <laughs> but, but the point is that she has brought back uh, socialism. There are limits on profit. He's breaking up companies. He's taking over and privatize, uh, public, make, publicly taking over more and more industries. And he's really screwing up the country. Hmm. But the Chinese initiative launched ten, eight or ten, seven four or five years ago, is called the Belt and Road Initiative, B-E-L-T and Road Initiative. It comes from the Silk Road that was China's main commercial outlet to the rest of the world that Marco Polo opened up. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's an effort where China goes around the world and picks out strategic targets, militarily strategic targets, that it wants to take over. And the way it takes it over is it works on getting friendly governments elected and uh, and getting them to be pro-Chinese. And then it gets the dictators to agree to accept billions of dollars of Chinese aid, Chinese loans, to build all kinds of projects that they don't need, uh, stuff that they don't want. Uh, in Sri Lanka, which was the old Ceylon, C-E-Y-L-O-N, if you need a geography lesson, think of India as a V. And at the lower right-hand corner of the V, that is southeast, there's an island that was called Ceylon for centuries. It was where all the tea came from, all the tea in China. <laughs> and, um, and, but now it's called Sri Lanka, S-R-I, in the word L-A-N-K-A. And its capital is called Colombo. Um, and Sri Lanka, fell under the leadership of a family called the Raja Paksa family. 
R-A-J-A-P-A-K-S-A, Raja Paksa. And that family was totally corrupt, and they made deals with China to borrow all kinds of money from China to build projects that people didn't need, didn't want. Uh, they took $1.4 in Chinese loans. Uh, they built an airport for $200 million loan, but it's almost totally unused. Huh. It can't even cover its own electricity bills at this point. There was a conference center uh, that cost $100 million dollars. And the and this this range of capital projects has just been continuing and piling up debt in Sri Lanka. Now, the reason this is important to us is that China is using this debt to control these countries. It goes to the dictator and says, "We'd like to build you an airport." And he says, "I don't need an airport." He says, "Never mind. We're going to build you a nice, big, fancy airport, and you'll have to give out a hundred million dollars in contractors for all the construction work. And you can give them to anyone you want. So they give them to their buddies, their relatives, mother-in-law, mother-in-law, and they get kickbacks from it. And that's how the dictator puts his money in the Swiss bank. And China enables them to do this by giving them these massive loans. But then the loans come due." And the country can't pay them, and China won't roll them over. They won't release them. India has deferred over two billion in loans and given three billion in aid, but China won't do any of that because they want the countries to fall into the debt trap. The debt trap snares them. It's like the slave traps used to be, and it, it absolutely takes over the country. So now mobs throughout the country, throughout uh, Sri Lanka. Are taking to the streets and demonstrating against the project, saying we don't want this. We don't want to fall into the Chinese debt trap. We don't want to be controlled by China. And the Rajapanska family had to resign, and the president was whisked out of the country in a Chinese helicopter while the demonstrations went on behind him. And the theme of what these demonstrators are saying was perhaps best articulated by the Rolling Stones. Determined not to be the beast of burden of China, and think about India. Think of the map of the world in your mind. You have this V, which is India, jutting out into the Indian Ocean, with the island of Sri Lanka, Ceylon, right off the V in the Indian Ocean, on the right side, on the lower right, and that is the main island in the whole Indian Ocean. If you control that, you control the whole damn ocean. Navy-wise, Navy-wise. Militarily. Yeah. And then China has also moved to establish a naval base in Aden, A-D-E-N, which is at the end, right next to Yemen, that's at the end of the uh, Saudi Arabia Peninsula on the Red Sea, across from uh, Somalia and Ethiopia. And that controls one entrance to the Indian Ocean, And then they want to take over the Ch- South China Sea off the Philippines. The control in Indonesia, which controls the other. Who's this? China? Entra- China, China, the other entrance to the Indian Ocean. So they'll control ships coming in from the west 
through the fortifications in the Red Sea and coming in from the east through their fortifications in the South China Sea. And in the middle, they'll control the ocean through Sri Lanka. The Chinese regard islands as unsinkable aircraft carriers, Mm. they call them. Mm -hmm. And the idea is they take the island over, they put an army base on it, a Navy base, Air Force facilities, and they dominate the whole region. And this was unfolding under us, and it was it's really been worrisome. But now the population of these countries is saying, get out. We don't want to be your beast. We don't want to be your beast of burden. Mm. We don't want to spend our whole time trying to pay off the debt for these projects we don't want. So when you combine the economic failure of China that is falling apart, in large part, by the way, due to the Trump sanctions that were so effective, And secondly, you look at their health situation where they're completely hogtied in Shanghai. Imagine if New York City were inaccessible and the whole metropolitan area were closed. That would do what that would do to the U.S. economy. Well, that's what's happening in China. And when you combine that with the failure of leadership, the failure of ideology, they don't believe in anything. They just believe in money and power. You see how vulnerable China is. So sit back and look at this. Our two big enemies, Russia and China, are getting weaker and we are getting stronger. And that is a byproduct of Donald Trump's sanctions, his military policy, his rearming America, and his effectiveness in bringing a military that could dominate Russia into the field. Let's go to uh, G.I. Jack in Hackensack. (laughs) Yeah, Jack and Hackensack. Hello, how you doing? We're doing good. How's my buddy, Dick Morris? How's everything? Doing fine. Doing doing well. And thank you for your service. Let me tell you something. I'm going to hit you with some bombshells, my buddy. Give my best to Uncle Donald Trump. Back with uh, Jeff uh, Ron DeSantis in a couple of years, God willing. Anyway, bottom line is we have a modern day on this uh, Salute to Israel Parade Day. Mm -hmm. We have a modern day King David and Zelensky, a man who stands among and women as a hero. Unfortunately, the White House has a hero, and that's a sick thing, a crime family boss, Don Giuseppe Bedino, a disgraziato. <laughs> and by the way, by the way, he's doing nothing, Dick, about prosecuting um, Martina Baruta. She was 40 years at the VA, and she stole $40 million of American tariff taxation and taxes, money earmarked for the Veterans, and it was all covered up, Dick. I want Rudy Giuliani well, Jack, and Judge uh, Jeanine Pierre to come out of retirement and prosecute <laughs> Thank I you, want- Jack, for telling me all that. That's that cool. That's really That's good. Uh, and I hope that they do prosecute them. But um, I think that we have to understand how effective we are now on the world stage. The U.S. is stronger now than it was ever since the fall of the Berlin Wall. And for those who say that the invasion of Ukraine isn't our fight, it's somebody else's fight, this has done more to weaken Russia and to weaken China because its main ally is now weak and falling apart than anything else we could have done. By the way, I was on television about, well, I'm on a lot, but three months ago I said on television that Vladimir Putin would be out within six months. And I have three more months on my prediction. And all of the social media in Russia, all the stuff they censor and they screen, shows massive discontent in Russia. You know, much of the armies that are invading Ukraine are not Russian. 
They're from captive nations that Russia controls, like Uzbekistan and Azerbaijan and Armenia, countries that are within the old Soviet Union um, and are still subject to Russian control. And it's these nationalities that are staffing the Russian army. And believe me, they cannot be counted on. So I think Russia and China are both riding for a fall. When we come back, we'll talk about my favorite riding for a fall, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Hmm. She loved it. This is the Dick Morris Show on 77 WABC. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. You know, when I worked for Bill Clinton, uh, our slogan was, don't stop thinking about tomorrow. And when Hillary ran, it was... Uh, women power. It was, uh, uh, the song about, um, Helen Reddy's song. Uh, but now Hillary has a new campaign song, and I'm gonna debut it for you now. One through party in the county jail. Prison band was there, they began to quake. When the jumping and the jump began to swing, you should have heard this locked out jailbreak sing that rock. Everybody let it rock. Sit down. Stop dancing. I got to show you. <laughs> Stop dancing. I got you. Okay. I'm not. I'm not yeah. dancing. If you don't right. sing, I won't dance. Okay. Thank you. So um, what happened is that Hillary, first the facts are obvious. Hillary in 2016 was desperate to be, defeat Trump, and she saw Trump gaining on her. And she decided to use the phony issue mm. that Russia was colluding with Trump to get Trump elected. And that was a totally phony issue. And she used it in the last debate, the debate. It was her main theme. She talked about it about half the time she was talking. And there was no evidence of it. But so what she did was she had her campaign invent evidence. Yeah. Uh, they set up a negative research operation under a guy named Mark Elias mm-hmm. and a guy named Sussman. And uh, Eli- they were both lawyers. And Elias and Sussman worked on digging up fiction about Donald Trump. They hired uh, a guy who uh, who put together a dossier that was complete garbage, absolute nonsense. Uh, it said that uh, Trump was uh, conspiring and he had people meeting with the uh, Russians in Prague. And the guy, Michael Cohn, who's now in jail, who was supposed to be the one at the meeting, showed Russia's passport. He was never in Prague. Uh, the meetings never took place. And one of the big allegations in the memo, the, the, the memorandum that, that was turned out by the Clinton people, was that Trump had a secret connection with the Alpha Bank, which is the largest bank in Russia, one of the largest in the world. 
and that he had a secret account there and secret communications that they routed through the Alpha Bank to get to the Kremlin to coordinate strategy between Trump and the Russians. And it was totally fiction. It was absolutely nothing true. It was complete fiction. never happened. And it's since been exposed as a, as a total lie. And uh, the and, and my Sussman, uh, who is on trial now, carried a message to the uh, media and released to the media these the proof that the Alpha Bank was this coordinating thing and that there was this whole extensive uh, effort going on to coordinate between Trump and Russia. And Sussman fed the story to the New York Times that lapped it up, ran it on its front page. It dominated the last two to three weeks of the campaign. The FBI picked up the story. Sussman sent it to the FBI, and they began to investigate it and announced they were investigating it, which lent credibility to the whole charade. And it was not true. None of it happened. So John Durham, the special prosecutor, who's charged with investigating the origin and how the the sustaining of this Russia Trump hoax investigating its origin called Sussman in and Sussman told the FBI, I, they said, you leaked this information to us. You gave us this phony info from Alpha Bank. Uh, that, that's illegal. Making a false statement to the FBI is illegal. And they indicted him and he's now on trial. Trial's entering its second week. And finally, earlier, finally. Earlier, the judge in the case seemed to be biased toward Clinton. He was a Clinton appointee. And he said, you can't bring in evidence of conspiracy in this thing. It's got to be, what did Sussman do? What did Sussman know? And that's it. The H word, Hillary, can't appear in this case. Can't talk about the campaign. Can't talk about her. Got to stay with the evidence of what Sussman knew and when he knew it and what he told the who, Times who said this? and the FBI, the judge in this case. Uh, how does he, uh, how and, does he get to that? And, and that was his ruling. <laughs> so we all wrote off this Durham trial. We said Hillary's checkmated us again. Hmm. Then the defense attorney, who was the all-time worst moron in the world, <laughs> made the mistake of calling a witness where, you know, that they say don't call a witness unless you know what the answers are going to be. Right. And he called a witness named Robbie Moak, M-O-O-K. Moak? Moak, he calls it. <laughs> and he really was my successor as Hillary's chief strategist. He did during the 16 campaign what I used to do for Bill in the campaigns in the 90s. With one big exception, he lost and I won. <laughs> and he, and we, and he um, got on the stand and they asked him under oath, did Hillary know anything about this Alpha Bank leak? Uh, did she know that you were giving the FBI, that, that Sussman was giving the FBI this material? And Mook said, yes, she did. And they said, how do you know? And he said, I told her. Ooh. And did she approve it? Yes, yeah, she did. I met with her on Air Force One right before, not Air Force One, I met with her on her plane right before the election. And I said, we want to get this information out there about the Alpha Bank. Uh, is it okay if we give it to the press? And knowing full well that when it got to the press, it would then get to the FBI and get into the bloodstream. Mm-hmm. And he said, Hillary agreed. And I went ahead and did it. Now, this is the first time this has been tied directly into Hillary Clinton. 
We knew perfectly well that she was behind all of this. What we knew before this trial was that Hillary funded the preparation of the memo, Hillary paid for Sussman's legal expenses, and Hillary was behind this whole thing, but we were not able to prove that Hillary Clinton as a person knew that this stuff was being leaked and authorized its leaking. And now, under oath, her former campaign manager has said that that's what happened. Now, what are the next steps in terms of going after Hillary? Will she skate on this too? (laughs) And what we have to do now is we have to prove that she knew or should have known that when Sussman gave this to the press, it would then find its way to the FBI and the FBI would publish stories based on it, indicating the credibility of this whole hoax story. That's a leap, but it's not a huge leap. That could be a loophole. And, and it could be a loophole. It could also be a hangman's news. Oh, good. And, uh, and I think that there's a fair chance that this lady is finally, finally, finally running out of options. And it couldn't happen at a worse time for her because she is gearing up for a run for president in 24. You're convinced of that, aren't you? I am, but I think this may derail it. She, uh, she knows that Biden's going down in the midterms. Already there are demands that Biden step aside and not run for another term. Democrats are going to have to do that because they have to take Biden out of the line of fire so his negatives are his negatives, not their negatives mm. as a party. Mm. They have to do that. And they'll go to him and they'll say, it's time, brother. You can stay in office, but don't run for another term. You th- and you think he'll step down? Not step down, but say he's not going to run again. And that'll that's be, what I mean. That's what I meant. That'll be the green light for all of the other candidates to jump in. You're going to get Buttigieg. You're going to get a black candidate, probably um, the senator from New Jersey. Booker. Bo Booker. And um, then you'll get some surprise candidates. AOC herself might run. <laughs> By the way, happy nuptials, AOC. Oh, she's getting married. Yeah, happy anniversary, oh, baby. Um, and uh, I believe also that Hillary will want to get in it. And the way she'll get into it is sideways. She'll say, I'm only running to save the Democratic of Party course. from the radical left oh. of AOC. And other than me, they would take over the party and lead it to horrible defeat. And I'm going to stop that from happening. And that's how she'll get into the race. But now maybe she can't. Maybe she can't. Maybe she's stuck and at last nabbed. Um, so I think that's very that's hard to believe cool. that got ever happened. So uh, let's go to oh, Judith in Brooklyn. Oh, hey, Judith. oh my God. My, my best buddy. Hey, Judith. Hi, Judith. Yeah, hi, guys. How are you? Yeah. Listen, um, I was listening to you before. Number one, I got two things. Number one, it boils me. It boils me because. Definitely, President Trump is the one that built up the military. It was a shambles. He built it up, invested so much in there. He also got NATO to uh, cough up their share and, yep. and bring them up. And yet, you you know that Biden and his administration, their propaganda, they're going to take the full credit. They're oh, yeah. going to take the credit for, for Ukraine's win. That yeah. bothers me. But, true, let me ask you, Dick. The Russian military has overruled Putin. And like almost like a mutiny by going on their propaganda TV, okay, letting the public know basically that they, the Russians, lost, okay, in a nutshell. And also, turns out some of the oligarchs, whatever, and some of the military, they know that, yeah, they know that Putin is sick, number one. He has some sort of cancer, blood, blood cancer, and he's got things going on. And he's supposed to have surgery, they don't know when. But the talk is this. They're looking and they would love for him to either, you know, drop dead 
or get assassinated, something. This is the talk. So here's my question, Dick. Is it possible, one way or the other, that somehow Russia can emerge with a more democratic uh, leader like mm-hmm. the one uh, Putin tried to poison? Well, at the moment, I'll settle for a better dictator. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, God. but uh, one who is less imperialistic. Uh, the uh, That's a long question. I... I as you know, was heavily involved with Boris Yeltsin in running his campaign. Uh, I'll tell you the story one of these days on the air, but I was, I, I would meet with Clinton at night and my former business partner, a guy named Dick Dresner, was hired as Yeltsin's pollster. And I, he, I would get Dresner's polls for Yeltsin and I'd bring them into the president and he would then call Yeltsin on the hotline and tell him what to do. At one point, we even dictated an ad over the hotline, and Yeltsin's writing it down so that we could uh, he could run it. And uh, it was that advice, really, that helped re-elect Yeltsin. Um, but, you know, it's hard to tell whether Russia will ultimately become democratic or not. But at the moment, I'd settle for a better dictator. Thank you, Judith. Great to hear from you. Thank you, Judith. So coming up next is uh, is my friend, Rob Astorino who is running for governor as a Republican in the Republican primary. And Astorino, uh, I worked on his campaign for county executive in Westchester, and he was elected and he was reelected. But I grew closest to Rob when my wife Eileen had a stroke, and uh, I needed to get her into a rehab center. And the Burke Rehab Center that's right in Westchester is one of the best in the world. And but White they have plans, a waiting right? list, and yeah, and they have a long, very hard to get in there, easy to get into Harvard. <laughs> and Rob set it up for me and got her in, and I'm everlastingly grateful to him. So, hey, Rob, how are you? I'm good, Dick. I'm I'm everlasting grateful for our friendship, you know, and that's um, I'm glad Eileen's doing well, and I'm glad you're doing well. So I thank you for the invitation you. to come on. Oh, bless you. Let me let me play something for you that I'm everlastingly grateful for. The following statement by Zeldin, your opponent in the Republican primary, in from 2011, was it? Rob? Yeah, I think 2011. If you were in the White House right now, our nation would be in a better place today than it is. He's talking about Andrew Cuomo. But play that again. This is Lee Zeldin on Andrew Cuomo. If you were in the White House right now, our nation would be in a better place today than it is. Oh, my God. All right. So that's the guy who Astorino is running against, Lee Zeldin. And if you think he's a good Republican, would be a good governor, just listen to that clip again of how he described Andrew. If you were in the White House right now, our nation would be in a better place today than it is. Now, you know, he might be right. Cuomo might be better than Biden. <laughs> Biden. Oh, <yeah. laughs> but he said that in 2011. Oh, goodness I don't gracious. think that it was right then, and I doubt it's right now. It's so, interesting because, uh, look, I, I anyone who says, oh, that was a little while ago. Look, everybody knew back then when, when Lee Zeldin was in the state Senate majority under Dean Skelos, uh, everybody knew that Cuomo was a thug and corrupt on a good day. And he had all the corruption issues surrounding him, the Moreland Commission, Startup New York. All of those were, were hitting Cuomo. And if anyone thought that he was really good back then, then 
you should not be serving in Albany. Let me let not- me just explain Moreland Commission to folks. Cuomo, under pressure, set up a commission to investigate corruption, and uh, it was modeled after some of the stuff that went on with FDR and Mayor Jimmy Walker back in the 30s. And uh, it found extensive corruption going into the governor's office, and Cuomo responded by dissolving the commission, firing its chairman, and not publishing the results. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Oops, the breadcrumbs are leading to me. Nothing to see here. Yep. Out. That's right. Get the maid sweep them Also, out. by the way, Rob, I just want to mention to others, we have to go to an ad break in a minute. But um, you are the guy who took his cell phone oh, to Westchester great. County Airport. It's great. And you filmed the illegal immigrants being dropped off on a secret flight paid for by the taxpayers from the Mexican border to the heart of Westchester County. The administration denied that that was happening. The flight was secret. The money was from an unauthorized fund. And you're the one who blew that whistle. That was great. And it's happening every night since, well, definitely since February. It's been happening every night at Westchester County. Really? Still? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And this was going on since last April, 14 months ago. And we blew it on this last August found out. And then, of course, the New York Post blew it up. And it's continuing to this moment. Uh, Tucker Carlson, to his credit, you know, I've been on his show several times to talk about this. It has enormous consequences because every time I bring it up and demand answers, because they're being put into our communities, into our schools, into our health care into our congressional districts so that they can That's vote correct. Democrat. But listen, Rob, I got to go to an ad break. I'll be right back with you. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. You know, when somebody runs for governor, you don't know what they're going to be like if they are governor. But here we have a contrast between two candidates, Lee Zeldin and Rob Astorino, who are opposing each other in the Republican primary. And Astorino has been the county executive of Westchester for eight years. And during that whole time, the Democrats constantly, every year, every day, every quarter, were pressing for higher taxes. And Rob Astorino stopped them, vetoed them. Sometimes his veto was overridden. Sometimes he could still get it sustained. But he's the reason that property taxes are lower in Westchester than they are in other New York suburb, suburban counties. Thank you, Mr. Astorino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was always fun. But you know what? We won those battles. We never once raised the county property taxes. We actually cut them. And here's the thing I'm, I think I'm almost more proud of, because just like in New York, in order to cut taxes or hold the line, you've got to control spending. So when I walked in the door, the budget I was handed was $1.8 billion. Eight years later, I left my my successor a $1.8 billion budget. Um, that takes a lot of work, a lot of cutting out the waste and, and going head-to-head with those Democrats. That's saying, harder no. than losing weight. <laughs> <laughs> now, now yeah, you, you mentioned over the phone to me, Rob, and I want to give you a little bit of advice here. You mentioned to me that Zeldin voted for all of Cuomo's budgets, which had all of the tax increases in it. But I would urge you not to say that. I would urge you to break it apart 
and mention each of the taxes that Cuomo raised in those budgets that Zeldin voted for, because it's such a contrast with your record of no tax increases. That's a good point. That's a good point. The, the reason why we say all four budgets is because he was there for four years, and he was a reliable vote for Andrew Cuomo. Um, and so when Dean Skelos, who was the majority leader, said, you know, hey, snap your fingers, Cuomo needs a vote, here you go. Lee Zeldin said, aye, whatever you need. And, you know, including the SAFE Act, which, you know, for legal gun owners, that was really an attack on legal gun owners under Cuomo and now, of course, Hochul. And uh, and Zeldin voted to fund the SAFE Act every year. So, you know, there's some really big discrepancies. And I think my experience in a deep blue county like Westchester getting elected as a principled conservative and governing for eight years, you know, stop the Obama administration trying to overtake local zoning. I battled that for eight years. It was a big national battle, and we won, uh, making Westchester a sanctuary county, which the Democrats passed a bill, and I vetoed it, and we won. You know, so going up against the Democrats is is not always fun, but it's required. And I, I have the backbone to not back down, and that's what I did in Westchester and got elected twice. So, you know, that's that's the battle we face. It's kind of uh, fun. Being an executive. It's yeah, kind of it fun. Is. It is. <laughs> it's kind of fun. But, um, Not every day, but most days. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, the Democratic Party isn't all that great either. Uh, it's yeah. run by county leaders, political bosses. Uh, we have this arcane, stupid system in New York where there's a state committee that votes on who the candidates are and endorses the candidate. And usually whoever they endorse, they and this is Democrats and Republicans, they get nominated. And the uh, Republican State Committee endorsed Lee Zeldin, your opponent. And I love the fact that you didn't go after that endorsement, that you said you're independent, you're going to have the voters put you on the ballot, you're going to run without the party organization behind you, uh, you're going to be a good Republican, but you're not going to be a slave to them. That's right. And look, the establishment hasn't really done well when you think about it. Mm, yeah. And they're old uh, for what? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I tell people if if you went with the establishment, then we would have had Jeb Bush running against Hillary Clinton and we'd have Hillary Clinton running for her second term. Right. Yeah. So they don't get it right too often. And that's what everyone was told. Fall in line, fall behind the big money, fall in line and, and shut up. And we said, nope. And Republicans all around the state put put their signature to a piece of paper and said, we want you to run for governor. Good for and you. that's what I'm doing. I was once um, at the gridiron dinner in Washington where Hillary and Bill were on the stage. And um, the uh, and, and the comedian, Imus, uh, said, uh, Hillary wants four more years. Bill wants four more years, but Hillary's looking at two to five. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're following the story I played before about the Sussman testimony, that yeah. has a certain relevance to it, rock. certain ring to it. So listen, the primary is on June 28th. Early voting starts when? June 18th. So June it's 18th. upon us, about four yeah. weeks away. Yep. So uh, this is very important. New York can defeat the Democrats and elect a Republican governor. Yokel, the Hokel, the Yokel, who is <laughs> our current governor. The local Yokel. Are you using that? Hokel, the Yokel? Local Hokel Yokel. Yokel. <laughs> she, she was a failed congressman, two years in Congress, and then they 
gave her a graceful exit to run for lieutenant governor, and she jumped at it. You know, when you say lieutenant governor, there's a cute story. There was a play years ago called Of The I Sing, and this guy's nominated for, for vice president, and he says he'll accept as long as his mother never finds out. <laughs> that's really what's true with Kathy Hochul. But, uh, yeah. Kath, yeah. David Patterson, who we both love, told me once, you know, what his job was as lieutenant governor, he'd wake up in the morning, just get a call, call a phone call to see if uh, Spitzer was still alive and then go back to bed. <laughs> yeah, right. And, um, but we really, uh, we really have a chance to win this. The polls show yeah. that a Republican can defeat Hochul. Uh, she is not the candidate Cuomo was, and his, his baggage has hurt him. The economy is hurting him, and there really is a chance to win. We got to get a good candidate whose record is not compromised by having voted for a million tax increases over his time in the legislature. And Rob Astorino has a pure record when it comes to taxes. So it's a pleasure having you on, Rob, and I want to wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much, Dick. I appreciate that. And uh, you're right. So listen to Dick Morris. He knows what he's talking about, folks. As I'm on Staten Island right now, a great part of New York City with a lot of Republicans. Thank you, Mr. You take care. Good for you, Rob. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. So, um, yeah, I'm on, as you know, I'm on now between noon and one every Sunday. But I want to be on every day uh, from noon to one. And WABC is considering putting me on. And they were gracious enough to let me do a tryout uh, a little bit. Uh, earlier in the, in the week, last week actually, I was doing five days of daytime. And uh, I'd like to go back to doing that. Uh, but there were tryouts. And as the Beatles said, I hope I passed the audition. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and uh, a larger part of whether I'm on or not will be dependent on what you say. So I would urge you to get out your pencil and paper and snail mail and stamps and send a letter to WABC Radio. WABC Radio, 800 Third Avenue, New York 10022. WABC Radio, 800 Third Avenue, New York 10022. ABC Radio is coming back. It soared ahead of all the other so talk great. stations. It's tripled its audience, and I want to be part of that. the letter, the sooner the better. <laughs> Please write. Good. That's great. This is paid for by the Dick Morris for Daily Show. <laughs> Thank you, Dick. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.